0: We all do face trouble. We all do face trials and struggles, and we have questions. Oftentimes, we might question God like Habakkuk does, and we may say, well, God, if you are like this, then why this? Fill in the blank. If, God, you are good, why did you let this happen to me? If, God, you are caring, why don't you let this happen to me? If, God, you hear all prayers, then why didn't you answer this prayer? If, God, you care about all of the injustice in the world, then why don't you do anything? We oftentimes feel that. If you are this, God, then why this? Fill in the blank. And it's confusing. It's hard. It's a struggle. It's a wrestle. And it's easy to lose joy. It's easy to let those things change you. How we handle the questions that we experience How we handle the struggles, the troubles, the trials, the suffering, how we handle that. This is one of the big ideas I really do want to help get across to you. How we handle that will change you. It'll set the trajectory in many ways for your life. It'll change you emotionally. It'll change your relationship with God. It'll change your relationship with other people. How you handle the struggles and the trials and the troubles changes you, sets a course for your life. I I don't, you've probably heard the phrase that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And I would just say to that, sometimes, sometimes what doesn't kill you paralyzes you. Sometimes what doesn't kill you makes you really bitter. Sometimes what doesn't kill you sends you into isolation. Sometimes what doesn't kill you ends a lot of your relationships. So that's not always true. It's how you handle the struggles the troubles, the trials that you face that will change you, that will set a trajectory for your life. We've been talking about a lot of different things throughout this little series. One of the areas of struggle and trouble and trial, one of the areas that we face is injustice or mistreatment to us or to those around us. And you can think of that at a, a large scale in the world, that there's injustice and mistreatment of people. You can think about it personally for, for you. Even if you just go downtown Denver and you look around, so much homelessness, so much poverty, and there's personal choices that lead to some of that, but there's also injustice. There's things of greed and there's things of things that are unfair and it's hard to see, it's hard to look at. Sometimes you think about just our culture in general and the pressures that it puts, for those of you that are parents, on our kids and things in the world that just make it hard to actually live consistent with being a Christian. And you go, that's just, it's kind of unfair. It sets things up for failure for people. It's hard to live in that, experience that, and go, this just doesn't seem right. It seems unjust even. There's corruption politically. There's greed with corporations that influence decisions and hide information. And there's just a lot of injustice and mistreatment. Dion and I this week uh, went and saw a movie that's out uh, called The Sound of Freedom. It's about the sex trafficking and global uh, billion dollar industry of child slavery. And it's it's awful. It's hard to, to watch, hard to say, man, this is not right that this exists. We look at injustice and mistreatment in the world, and it's, it's hard. And then personally, we can experience that. I know talking to some of you, you experience and have experienced, and probably all of us at some degree have experienced mistreatment, even if it's small. Sometimes it's in our job, and the way the boss handles things seems unfair, or the way the corporation handles things, it seems unfair, or not getting noticed, or not getting seen in the right way, or people taking credit for things. Some of you have experienced, many of you have experienced abuse in your life. Emotional, physical, sexual. You have experienced adultery, betrayal. You've experienced racism. You've experienced lawsuits that are unjust against you. You have experienced the system in various ways of greed and corruption being against you, against the little person. The man has won. And if you are the man, Well, this sermon might be for you. We all experience those things. We have at various levels. We see it in the world. We see it in our life. One of the things that kids learn very early on is to say, that's not fair. Because we want justice. We have this sense that things need to be right. Things need to be fair. That's why part of the pain, part of the questions that we have for God, if it's such a common experience, is, Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you taking care of things in the world, in my past? Why didn't you do anything in my life right now? Why aren't you bringing justice? Part of why we feel that, part of why we experience that pain. And Habakkuk is a great guide for us. He's a great guide to help us process this, to help us say, how do we face that? How do we face mistreatment? How do we face injustice? How do we face the difficulty? He shows us how to move. He shows us how to move from struggle, and question, and fear, and doubt, and suffering, to joy, and confidence, and faith. He helps us move. He helps us be able to face these difficult questions and things. He helps us, he helps us actually have a joy and a peace He helps give us what we need. And so we're going to read this next section. Habakkuk is asking God, has been asking God in the last two weeks that we've looked at, where are you? What are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? And I have to just give you the brief context again, because if you haven't been here, that basically the the people of Israel have been rebelling against God for years and years and years and years, and years and, and it's spiritually and morally corrupt. And Habakkuk calls out to God and says, when are you going to deal with things? This is awful. Your people are committing child sacrifice or worshiping false gods. It's total corruption, total oppression. It's not good. When are you going to do something? Why aren't you doing anything? He cries out to him. And God answers him, not in the way that he would expect. God says, I am going to do something, but you're not going to understand it. You're probably not going to like it. What I'm going to do is judge you guys by bringing the evil nation of Babylon to come and wipe you out. Habakkuk's like, that's not the answer I was hoping for. But okay, and God explains that it's going to be one unjust nation, even worse than them, judging them, being the tool, the instrument of God's judgment. And now, in this section, is God speaking. And maybe in your Bible, it might be titled, Five Woes, or Oracles, where God is saying, here is the judgment that I will then bring upon Babylon. So yes, I am judging you with Babylon, but don't worry, they will get theirs also. I will judge them. And so he goes on for a lengthy explanation of the judgment that he will bring against Babylon. So this is all, here's the question we're asking. Just what do we need to be able to face mistreatment and injustice? And it starts with saying, what is God going to do? What will God do? So We'll read this whole section and we'll see at least three things that God's going to do. Won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him. They will say, I know that's kind of weird language. God is saying, here's the things that you will be able, here's my judgment against them. You'll be able to say these or use these as even in your head and in your mind or maybe out loud if you have the bravery to do it, against Babylon. These are the taunts. These are the ways that you can mock them because these are the things that I'm going to do to them. This is the judgment that's going to come against them. Here's what they you will be able to say, because of the judgment that I will bring against them, woe, there's five woes, here's the first one, woe to him, this is Babylon, woe to him who amasses what is not his, how much longer, and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise, and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them, since you have plundered many nations. All the people who remain will plunder you. Because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. You, he says, have been taking what is not yours. You've been taking what's not yours from all the nations. But the time will come when you will have to pay up. The time will come when your creditors will arise. And this is what happened to Babylon. Eventually, all these nations that they had plundered, eventually, they themselves were plundered by the next empire. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Again, all of these are a reversal. He says, you have been kind of taking, you've been dishonestly making wealth. There's a lot of different ways that people still do that today. You've been dishonestly making wealth to make yourself secure and separate from everybody else. To be on high, to have the house on the hill protected from everything. But the stones will cry out. The rafters will answer them from the woodwork. That's poetic language, but saying it's all going to be turned around against you. Everything you sought to build dishonestly will turn against you. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. He says that you have used violence and injustice to build your empire. Yeah, you're rich. Yeah, you're powerful. Yeah, you've amassed all of this, but you've done it with injustice. You've done it with bloodshed and The time will come when you will see that all of it was for nothing. It was all for nothing. It's just fuel for the fire that God's going to use to judge you. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath, and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory, for your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against land, cities, and all who live in them. And he's saying, "You've th- this one, you know, we might go, that seems weird. He gives his neighbors drink, and he, and he makes them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. What, what is that talking about? And commentators say different things, but Probably what's going on here is sexual abuse. That he is, it's saying, you are getting these people drunk. You're filling them just so that you can look at their nakedness euphemistically. So that you can abuse them. And God will fill you. You are filling them up with a cup. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come and you will be filled with shame. You are shaming others. God's cup will be full of wrath and judge you. And the look at your, uh, expose your uncircumcision... That could be saying that he is saying you are, the Jews were circumcised as a sign of their covenant with God. That's what revealed we are part of God's people. So to say expose your uncircumcision is to say you are being revealed as those that are not a part of God's people. You will be revealed. You will be shown that you are people under God's wrath. Everything you've done to others will happen to you. And then the final one, the woe comes kind of in the middle, but... What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It's only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts it, shape for the one who crafts its shape, trust in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, "Wake up!" or to mute stone, "Come alive!" Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Woe to those that make idols and think, oh, now I've made this stone. I've made this, I've made this God out of wood. I've made this God out of stone. Teach me. Speak to me. Saying that you, you are a fool. Your idols cannot do anything. And God is in his temple. God is actually alive. And he will bring judgment. So there's three things that God says that he will do. Three things that God says he will do that really is what we need if we're going to face the injustice that we experience or that we experience in the world that can hurt us, that can burden us, that can make us heavy. What will God do? What do we need to know? Three things. First, God will judge. That's evident throughout the whole passage. Now, here's the problem with this. Oftentimes, we want that reality. We want to know that God will judge, but it's also a key problem for people. It's a key problem for people. Maybe if you're not a Christian, that's one of the things. You might read a passage like this and say, that seems to be the problem I have with God, especially the God of the Old Testament. It seems like, uh, does he need some medication? He's a little on edge, a little feisty. We want a God of justice in some ways, but we also can feel very problematic about God's wrath, about hell, about judgment, that can kind of freak us out. It can make us uneasy. It can be a key problem. If you ask people, do you believe in God? Most people believe in God. And if they were to say, what kind of God do you believe in? Or even if they say, I don't know about God, but I believe in spirituality or the universe, usually it's going to be something of love. Not, yes, I believe in God. I believe in a vengeful, wrathful, judgmental God. Most people don't say that. That's not what comes to our mind. And yet this presents us a picture of judgment, of God saying, these people will be destroyed. These people will be mocked. These people will be taunted. These people will have happened to them the things that they have done. My cup of wrath will overflow upon them. And we can feel like this is a big problem. We can feel like this isn't right. That doesn't seem okay that God's like that. There's a man, a theologian named Miroslav Volf, who was a part of, and you, um, if, unless you have some reason to, you probably don't know about uh, the Croatian, Croatian genocide that happened, ethnic cleansing that happened in Yugoslavia and among their people. But he is a theologian that comes from that part of the world, and he writes a lot about God's judgment and God's wrath and forgiveness, and he's been an advisor to the White House and different things. He's kind of a prominent theologian. Here's what he says about this idea of us being uncomfortable with God's justice and wrath. He says, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love, and God loves every person and every creature. That's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war In former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed. Over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrator's basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. This is true, and you can think about this, especially for those of you that are parents, I don't, or maybe you imagine, I don't know if you ever had a time when you were a kid that someone mistreated you, and you told your parents. I remember once when I was young, and i very, I don't know, maybe six or seven, and I went to go buy comic books, and at that point, I don't know, my allowance was like 50 cents a week or something. You know, it was different, uphill both way in snow, it was a different time. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to go buy comic books, and I bought the comics, Came out, I showed him to my mom, and it had like a sticker on the comic that says like sale or something like that, and it had the price on there. And the, she said, "Well, how much did you pay?" And I paid more than what the price was. And my mom was like, "That's not right." She and you don't mess with a you don't mess with any mother, but not a Puerto Rican mother. You don't mess with her. So she walked into the into the comic book store, and I don't. It's probably like a 15 year old kid at the checkout stand that's terrified, you know. And she's like, you? He's like, well, I already rang it up. And she's like, listen, it might not be a lot of money to you, but this is his allowance. He's worked hard for this. It doesn't matter if you already rang it up. You need to give him his 75 cents or whatever it is, you know? And I was like, yes, my mom stepping in justice, her wrath coming against the 16-year-old comic book kid, you know? He will never defraud another child. Now, that's small, and maybe you had an instance like that. Your parents stepped in or somebody stepped in, maybe a teacher, and and helped bring justice to your situation. God is, is perfect. God's wrath is not in spite of his love. It's because of his love. It would be an unloving God if he looked at all of the injustice in the world and said, I don't really care. I'm love. That's not love. We often, I think there's some famous quote, I can't remember who it comes from, but it says, the opposite of love isn't hate, but indifference. And we know that, right? Like if you just go, I don't care. That's the opposite of love, to just not care. And so, even though it can be a hard truth for us at times to say God is wrathful, God is judge, God is justice, He pours out His wrath on people, even though that's hard, it's actually a great help as we face mistreatment or experience injustice or look at injustice in the world. Because think about what you need if you face that or as you look at the world. At times, when we look at a broken world, and I don't know, maybe this is just me, at times when we look at a broken world, the, and whether you know this song that well or not, the John Lennon kind of imagine song might come to your mind. Just imagine everybody at peace. Imagine, maybe that's what kind of enters your heart. Or Michael Jackson, children of the world. Maybe that's what you feel. But other times when we look at injustice in the world, we more resonate with, man, where's John Wick when we need him, you know? Where's, if you like Denzel, the equalizer, where's he when, like those movies that are all about someone bringing wrath against the people that are doing wrong. We love those. In country songs, like the Dixie Chicks, Earl had to die about an abusive person, you know? And you're just like, I love that. Carrie Underwood, I, you know, scarred up his car. And you're like, yes! We, there's a reason that those things resonate with us. We know that abusers and cheaters and child abusers should be dealt with. We know. It's not just, ah, imagine. We also, yeah, there's a really easy way for to imagine that. It's if someone will come and destroy all these bad people. Sometimes we want Batman, you know, not just Mr. Rogers. Sometimes that's what we know we need and crave. And the Bible actually says... God, because he is loving, is just. Because he is loving, he is wrathful. Because God is not indifferent. Because he cares. This God judging in this passage helps us see at least two things. The first is this. All these woes, it's easy to pass over, but here's what it means. God says it's wrong. And I have found this to be a great help in my life and to other people simply just to say, you know what God says? You know what God would say to you in the injustice that you've experienced, in the mistreatment that you've experienced? You know what God would say? It's wrong. God doesn't just say, hey, get over it. Deal with it. God doesn't say that. God looks at the injustice and mistreatment and betrayals and abuse and wrongs that we have felt and experienced, and God Validates. He says, yeah, this is bad. Whoa. It's wrong. It's evil. God agrees. He validates our feeling of this is not how it should be. And then it shows us a second thing. It says that when it says the Lord is in his holy temple, the reason it ends with this is to say none of this gets past God. God. God is not like the dumb idols God sees all of this. God knows everything that is happening. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence means God sees everything that's happening in the whole earth. God is there. He sees it. None none of it gets past him. God sees every act of injustice. God sees every act of mistreatment. God sees every pain that you've experienced, whether big or small. God sees all of it. None of it, that's our fear often is what if people get away with it or what? God sees all of it. The government might miss it. People get off that are guilty. Sometimes things aren't a crime. I remember once hearing a father scream at his child, just belittling him, telling him he was nothing and cussing him out and how worthless he was. And I called the cops and they said, there's nothing we can do about that. It's not physical abuse. So, it might not be a crime, but it's wrong. And a lot of times we can say things seem to, people get away with stuff, and God is saying, I'm in my temple. I see it. Nothing gets past me. Nothing gets past me. God being slow, the wheels of justice turning slow, doesn't mean that He is not going to do something. A day is coming when God will deal with everything. So here's what this means, just on this truth. It means, first of all, that our hearts should align with God's heart. We shouldn't be indifferent. We should care about the things that are broken, the things that are wrong, the injustice, the mistreatment in the world and in our friends' lives. We should have God's heart. God cares. God says, whoa. God spends a lot of time saying, this is not right. We should have our hearts aligned with His. It also means that when we experience the mistreatment, when we experience injustice, we don't have to let it eat away at us. We can actually release and say, God will deal with this. I'm not saying that you don't actively pursue justice. I'm not saying that you don't state your case. And but we don't have to be filled with bitterness hopelessness, anxiety, we can say, God will judge. Maybe in this earth or in the earth to come. God will deal with things. God will judge, which means we can leave vengeance to him. That's what the Bible tells us. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We don't have to say, I really want to be like God, so I'm going to go do these things to people. You tried to plunder someone, now I'm going to plunder you. We, we don't have to do that. The Bible says, vengeance is God's. We can actually release. The second thing, though, that this passage tells us, God will judge. It also tells us, God will judge you. God will judge us, but I've worded it this way. God will judge you. See, at times what happens is this. We might feel, yeah, that's right, God, go get him go get them. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of injustice. God, go judge them. I love it. might feel like that. There's a time when Jesus is with the disciples and I can't remember the exact story, but there's some people that are doing things wrong, disrespectful to Jesus, and the disciples go up to him and they say, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and get these guys? And I love that, first of all, like, had they done that before? Like, how do, do they just, they just think that they can do that? And they think that Jesus needs help? Yes, please, I was waiting for you to ask. I'm, my feet are so tired from walking on water that I didn't think I could call down fire also. And they say, Jesus, you, you want us to call down fire and smoke them? And Jesus is like, I'm good. That's, we don't need to do that right now. That's not what needs to happen. And we We can feel that sometimes. Like, yeah, there's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of mistreatment. There's people that have hurt me. There's people that have hurt my family. Just need to watch the Godfather and go deal with all of it, you know? And this actually should make us slow down because as we hear all of these woes, with each passing woe, we should actually start to feel a little uneasy, As God starts to say, woe against this, woe against this, woe against, we should actually start to go, oh, woe against that? Oh, and you're going to do what to those people? It should make us start to feel a little uncomfortable, which is why it, part of why it ends with, let the whole earth be silent in his presence whoa, 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 whoa. And then how does it end? It's just like, all you can really do is go, uh, I need to be quiet. Because we should find ourselves within those woes. This is what Miroslav, which is a great name, by the way, if you're thinking of baby names, I know a lot of you are pregnant. No one is like, this is my child, Miroslav in America. How cool would that be, right? And be like, this is my kid Miroslav. He doesn't look like a Miroslav. Yes, he is, you know. Middle name Wolf, you know. Here's what he says. He says, once we accept the appropriateness of God's wrath, condemnation, and judgment, there's no way of keeping it out there, reserved for others. We have to bring it home as well. If I want it, God's wrath and judgment, if I want it to fall on evildoers, I must let it fall on myself when I deserve it. Also, once we affirm that God's condemnation of wrongdoing is appropriate, if you can say, okay, yes, that God is right to do that, we can't reserve God's condemnation for heinous crimes, the worst of things. Where would the line be drawn? On what grounds could it be drawn? Everything that deserves to be condemned should be condemned in, a, in proportion to its weight as an offense, from a single slight to a murder, from indolence To idolatry, from lust to rape. To condemn heinous offenses, but not light ones, would be manifestly unfair. An offense is an offense and deserves condemnation. He's saying two things. First, if we can say that God's wrath and judgment is good, we can't just say it's good for them, but not for me. And second, once you agree that God has the right to punish sin and wrong, where do you draw the line? He says, you you have to say it's okay for all of it. This is exactly what Jesus does. When Jesus shows up to teach, he starts saying things like, you've heard it was said not to commit adultery. I tell you, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. You've you've heard it was said not to murder. I tell you, don't even be angry with your brother or call him a fool. He starts to intensify and show us that the same seeds are there. It might be full-blown in murder, But the same seed is there in the heart of someone that's angry. You might just not have an army. You might just not have opportunity. You might not be able to plunder. And He says, God will judge you. So as we hear God's judgment, all we can really do is begin to be silent. If you look at the woes, the seeds are laziness, The seeds are self sufficiency, self trust instead of trust in God. The seeds are greed, loving money. The seeds are anger. The seeds are asserting your rights. The seeds are to mock other people or use other people for your benefit, selfishness. Can you not see those seeds in yourself? Can we not see that we are also on the hook? Would you want God to bring, if if God showed up today and said, I'm going to bring justice. Yes. Give us a list, God. Who are you going to bring justice against? And he said, every liar, anyone that's ever deceived or spoke, would you want that? Against everyone that is lustful. Against everyone that's taken anything, anything that doesn't belong to them. Against every anger. Would you want God's justice? See, it's easy for us to point the finger out there and say, yes, bring it against them. But when we start to be silent, we start to see, I deserve it too. I'm on the list also. Where are you treating your sin lightly? Where is it easy for you to see all the problems with everybody else and even in the world and all the mistreatment, but ignoring yours? Where are you hiding sin? Because it's not a big deal. Where are you not radically fighting against the sin in your own heart, but letting it sit? God sees and hates sin, and God sees and hates sin. Your sin, my sin. God judges, but God will judge you, us. And God tells us this because He wants His people to return to Him. See, remember, God was not just going to judge the Babylonians. The whole context of this is He's saying, I'm going to judge my people. God wants His people to return to Him. He wants them to experience the joy and the freedom of walking with Him, not living in sin. But often, first, We have to see the severity. We have to see it's not just those people, but me that's on the hook. And then the third thing that God will do, God will do more than judge. God will judge. God will judge you, but God will do more than just judge because we have to read all this and go, so what is God's plan exactly? He's just going to wipe everybody out, For those of you that are Marvel fans, I think it's the the Age of Ultron, one of the Avenger movies, and it's this robot AI that's programmed uh, within its code is to bring peace in our time. Okay, just peace. And how's he going to do that? Well, because he's actually smart, because he's a robot, he says the only way to bring peace is to kill everybody. That's the only thing that will bring peace is if everybody is dead. And Ultron is actually very biblical. He understands human nature. The only way to stop injustice, the only way to stop sin, the only way to stop sinful acts is to kill everybody. Is that what God's plan is? He's just going to wipe everybody out, just kind of empty the earth? No, God will do more than judge. It says, here's what his plan is. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters, as the water covers the sea. That's what he's actually going to do. That's what God's actually going to do. You get this little, he's doing all these woes, but then he gives you this, and this is quoting from Isaiah and other parts of the Bible, pick this up, that this is actually what God's plan is. This is what God is going to do. It's not just that he's going to wipe everybody out. It's that what God intends to do is fill the earth with the knowledge, for us knowing the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea, which is an interesting phrase because how much water is on the sea? Well, it's total, right? The water doesn't only cover part of the sea. The water covers all the sea. And God is saying, my glory and you knowing my glory will one day cover and fill the whole earth. And God's glory sounds like one of those Christian words that We don't really know what it means, but it's just the summation of all of God's character, all of his goodness, all of his perfection. That's what makes him glorious. That's what makes him weighty. That's what makes him shine is you're looking at all that he is, representative of all of his character and attributes. And he says, the whole earth is going to be filled with my character. I grew up, like some of you that are around my age, watching MTV Cribs and it was among a great lineup of shows, right? You'd go from the real world to Cribs to Pimp My Ride, all these great shows, right? And all trash. And, you'd, uh, and what would happen is they'd go into a celebrity's house, go into, and, and the celebrity, whoever it was, would show off their house. So Mariah Carey would be like, here's my house. And their house always was representative of them, their character, their glory go into Mariah Carey's house, she has like a, a piano that belonged to Marilyn Monroe, you know, because she's a singer. And she's, she has all of these things that are kind of butterflies and all these things that represented her. You go into Exhibit's house, and he had a, a hot tub that also, or not Exhibit, uh, Little Wayne's house. And he had a hot tub, but that also had like bass that would shake the whole house. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like Little Wayne, right? And some of you are like, I have no idea. I only listen to Caleb. Well, I'm sorry. I don't think they have a a, a Cribs Caleb version. Uh, But it it was representative of those people's glory. You'd walk into their space and say, I can see their character. I can see who they are. God is saying, I'm going to do that in the whole world. The whole world is going to shine with my character. You're going to be able to see who I am. You're going to be able to see my attributes, not just in this one little house, not just in this one little corner. You're going to be able to see my love, my grace, my justice, my holiness, my goodness, my faithfulness, my mercy, my patience, my gentleness. You're going to see all that I am in every part of the world as the water covers the sea. The world will be filled with my glory. It'll be filled with it. Won't that be amazing? To be able to say, every corner I look at, I see who God is. Every corner, every piece I look at, I know something of who God is. His greatness, His grace pervades every area. You don't go to a bad part of town. You don't go to a place and you go, ah, oh, it's dark there and it's it's bad there. Everything, the whole world is filled with God is good. He says, that's what my plan is. It's not just judgment. It's not just to bring justice. This is a part of my justice, my part of setting everything right. There will be a perfect joy and a perfect peace. There will be a perfect rest that happens. That, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to give to you. That's what our future is if you belong to him. But here's the question: How does that come together? Because I want that. I want the world to be filled with God's glory. But I also know I'm a sinner. I want the world to be filled with God's glory, but if God gets rid of all the injustice, he's going to get rid of me. If God gets rid of all the wrong, like Ultron, then I'm I'm going to be gotten rid of. How does his justice combine with the plan to fill the world with his glory in such a way that we benefit from that and are not just removed from that? And we see the answer to that, of course, in Jesus. You come to Jesus, and the beginning of the book of John says this, the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus comes. The glory of God appears. He's full of God's glory. And then Jesus talks about, and I'm just giving you two references, Jesus begins to talk about the day of his crucifixion, as the hour when he will be glorified. He says this, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man himself to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour, from this injustice, from this mistreatment. I know what's going to happen to me. Should I say, God, save me? But that's why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He refers to the moment of his crucifixion as the time that God is going to be glorified, the time when he will be glorified. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Look how this is even linked together with judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. So here's what happens. There's this prophecy, this hope, God promising, I'm going to fill the world with the knowledge of my glory. And that comes together in Jesus, where Jesus shows up and we say, oh, we see God's glory. And Jesus says the cross is the moment that God's character, his attributes, everything that represents him is going to be most clearly seen and will begin to then from there fill the world with the knowledge of who he is. See, here's how we begin to see Jesus's and God's glory on the cross. He willingly entered into and lived in a world filled with mistreatment and injustice. He experienced it himself. He took on it for us. He doesn't just look at a world filled with injustice and mistreatment from a distance. He enters into it. We see such care, such empathy for us. That is his character shining. That is his glory. So do you face trouble or mistreatment or injustice or things that are wrong? If you, if you face those, you can look at him and see the cross and say, you get it. You care for me. You understand what it's like. You see his glory. What would happen if that entered more into your heart, that you knew God understands your situation? Any injustice, any mistreatment that you've experienced, Jesus says, I am not distant from it. I understand it. Don't you see how glorious that is? And it's not just that. You see God's judgment executed on the cross. It shows us God takes all of this very seriously. It's so bad that God himself would enter into the world and die. His wrath poured out. It shows God is a God of justice. If he will do this on the cross, that is the ultimate. He says, this is the judgment of this world. It shows you have killed God. That's how bad this world is. It shows his glory. He is a just God. And it's a foreshadowing of his future justice that will one day totally make all things right. So do you face trouble? Do you face mistreatment? Do you face injustice? The cross helps us see a hope, a peace. God is a God of justice. I see it in Jesus. But it's also the perfect place where God's justice and mercy meet because we know that we deserve God's justice also the cross is God's glory because it's his mercy also. We see I should die, but you died in my place. I'm guilty of sin. Your wrath should be poured out on me, but instead it's poured out on you willingly. You took it for me. That is, he was our substitute in our place for our sin. That's his mercy. That's his glory. So if you struggle with guilt or you struggle knowing your own sin and You see yourself in all of the woes. What does it look like if you know? Yeah, but he gave me grace and mercy and forgiveness and took all the wrath on himself instead of pouring it out on me. That's justice. It's empathy. It's mercy. It's his glory shining through on the cross, which means this also. It helps us to forgive other people. It helps us to say, do I need to pour out my wrath on other people? Well, I've been forgiven. I've been given grace. I'm guilty, but I've been given mercy. It helps us to want to reflect what we have received. That is the key that actually creates a forgiving heart. I know that I am guilty, but Jesus gave me mercy. So in Jesus, we see the plan to do more than judge. We see judgment and mercy and the world being filled with his glory in the church. The church is a part of seeing that glory fill the world. We get to be a part of creating these communities of showing God's glory until the day that he comes and totally transforms all of it. We get to be a part of being a community that shows God's glory through being a community of justice and mercy and forgiveness. We get to be a community that shows God's glory. So, you and me, we hate injustice. We hate mistreatment. We hate things in the world and things done towards us being wrong. And we can wonder, what will God do? And we can wonder, how do I face it when it's happening? What we see is that we can face the pain with endurance, with forgiveness, with peace. By seeing that God will judge, by seeing that we're guilty also, but by seeing his glory and what his plan is. And so we're going to take communion. We take communion every week. Communion is something that Christians do, and we're remembering this moment of God's glory shining through on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, perfect justice, perfect mercy, seeing his glory. That's what we get to experience. We remember that he is the just judge and he is the merciful king. Both of those things are true. And so as you take communion, I want to encourage you, confess sin. Confess where you find yourself saying, God, I am guilty. I am deserving of your wrath. Confess. And remember that he forgives you. That's what communion represents. He forgives me. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. You you live in total forgiveness. And you can say, thank you, Jesus, that all of the woes of God's judgment came on you instead of me. You can say, thank you. And you can ask for God's help. You can ask for God's help to believe his justice in the areas where you've experienced mistreatment. You can ask for God's help to give you a settled peace in what he will do one day. You can ask for God's help to reflect his mercy and grace to those around you. And then we'll sing to respond to our good, just, and merciful Savior. Father, I thank you that you show us all these things about yourself. You are not just pure wrath. You are not just a doting grandfather like Wolf says. You are glorious, and you shine forth the perfection of your attributes, particularly on the cross. We get to see you. And so remind us of that. Lord, apply that truth to the hearts in this room where we most need it. Help us to remember who you are, and let us sing in response, and let these truths deepen in our hearts. In your name, Jesus, amen.